Welcome to the Powered by Age, age-friendly city Zoomcast reality-style podcast. We are movers and shakers, shaking up the old notion of silent, helpless, invisible seniors. This is a new series of podcasts funded by the City of Vancouver and the 411 Senior Center Society. As PBA AFC ambassadors, we raise awareness, share our original stories and poems, inform, advocate, and involve seniors in discussing important social issues. In short, these podcasts will help us, you, in creating an age-friendly city for Vancouver today, tomorrow the world. You can hear us everywhere podcasts are heard. Okay, hello. Welcome to Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City. This is a living, breathing reality podcast, and it's a podcast that is senior-led. We have been, we've started off meeting in 411 Center, and now we are meeting uh, as a committee, you know, a table of the round, like uh, people from each place not having to travel two hours to get here, people who had just begun having small group meetings, small group planning times for what would go on and then waiting. We each week have some people that have invited people uh, as an interviewee to talk about a topic. Uh, At the end of the meeting, we have people who volunteer for either stories or poems that they're going to bring. So it is a living, breathing, emerging process that you will be able to share with us as we go forth toward uh, October, where we'll have a big celebration of all the podcasts we've done for International Seniors Day. So I'm Charlotte Farrell, the coordinator and host. And uh, each week we ask the people that are on the line to briefly introduce themselves. So, so we'll start with Ellen. Hi, how are you ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, my name is Ellen. I'm from Surrey. Uh, I'm retired too, but I still have to work. <laughs> I have part time because you know, you know, when you're senior, right? Uh, my my pension is not enough, so I have to do some part time job. So I do financial assistance, and uh, it's lockdown, so I'm staying home. Can't find uh, clients because I have to be home and have to be I have to look after them my clients and myself too right so stay home but uh, it, it's uh, better for me because you know I did lots of things and I want to thank COVID-19 because I was able to you know clean the house which <laughs> I forgot <laughs> I have less less time to do it when I was working right and I was able to do some gardening, most of my garden, right? All my flowering plants, they're all in bloom, which is nice. And, uh, you know, when my daughter got married, she got that uh, uh, bouquet thing. I uh, dried it to put it on the frame, right? But it was hanging there for so long. And then when COVID-19 came, I was able to frame it. (laughs) So I was so happy just in time for my daughter's anniversary in June. So I have something special for her coming up. Yeah, that's me, Ellen. (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, Chris? Um, yes, my name is uh, Chris Morrissey, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a, from East Van, and I'm a member of Corky, which is the Queer Imaging and Writing 
Collective for Elders. I know it's funny letters, Q-U-I-R-K-E or something. <laughs> they, don't, they don't actually match with the spelling, but we decided we were quirky. So um, I'm from East Van, I'm retired as well. And um, uh, I, I moved into the East, on the East side fairly recently. I should say I moved back to the East side fairly recently. So I'm quite happy to be back here. And one of the things that I do is I, I do a lot of volunteer work with uh, LGBTQ refugees, both those who are here in Canada and those who are still overseas. And one of the things that COVID-19 has, has given me is even though in my head I know that there are so many people who are worse off than I am, it's in my head. But having to go through this of being, of being shut up and not seeing anybody, and, but at the same time knowing I have a roof over my head, I have food on my table, and, and I think about the thousands of people who are, not in the, who are not. And it's different from having it in the head to actually experiencing it or feeling it. So uh, while I'm not grateful to COVID-19 for all of the people it's killing, um, I am grateful at least to be able to find something, something that's something to do. positive. <laughs> well, it's not positive for them, but at least it, it changes my outlook a bit. Similar to Ellen, getting things done that have been sitting over to the side for a while. Um, <laughs> Leslie. Yes, my name's Leslie Hebert and I live in New Westminster. I teach English as a second language online, so that really hasn't changed for me during the lockdown. Um, I'm also a writer, a member of the Royal City Literary Arts Society, and a member of the New Westminster Council of Women. Uh, good things about the lockdown, I've discovered Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvie. Hi, I'm Sylvie Anderson. I'm from the West End Seniors Network. And it's a banner day for most people in the West End today. After three years, the new Safeway has opened on Davy and Cardero, which oh. is about half a block from where I live. <laughs> it makes my shopping expeditions way easier than all going all the way over to Robson Street. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, as far as COVID-19, um, I have met so many more people in the virtual world that as a die-hard introvert, I would have met <laughs> in, my, in my own habitat. Um, so yeah, it's been good. I've met a lot of people. Sharon. Hi, I'm actually, I go by my middle name, Judith or Judy. Okay. So uh, I'm Judith Rainey. And I live in the um, South Granville area, so I'm connected to the South Granville Senior Center. I am grateful for the fact that while people are defining their bubbles, who's in their bubble, I have increased mine. And I'm really grateful for discovering that and I am also grateful for zoom meetings they're really uh, uh, challenging and fun thank you thank you uh, hi Stephen has come on the line Stephen is introducing themselves and as part of the introduction telling something that they have gained from this self-isolation or uh, 
being shut in. Ishmael Traore, say your name correctly for me, Ishmael. It's Ishmael Traore. Traore. Okay, so introduce and tell us something about yourself. Well, Ismail Traore, I was born in Burkina Faso, which is a country in West Africa, right above Ghana. And I've been in Canada for, I believe, 15 to 18 years uh, within that ballpark. Started off in Ontario, where I was an undergraduate student and then a graduate student in two different universities, and then moved to the Okanagans to get away from the noise of the big cities, um, and then found myself in another big city in Vancouver years later um, after leaving the Okanagans. And currently I work at uh, UBC at the Center for Community Engaged Learning. I am the engagement advisor over there. I pretty much run a program that is responsible for bringing university students and community members together in order to tackle a social pressing issue in our community. And I got in touch with Powered by Age um, through as a result of the Vancouver Plan initiative that we were doing at UBC, where we were holding consultations mainly with UBC stakeholders, but also community members that wanted to participate to share their voice and perspective on some of the Vancouver Plan questions. Um, one great thing about, I won't say the pandemic, but definitely quarantine is like uh, I believe Ellen mentioned is I, I personally save three hours of travel. Mm -hmm. I'm commuting home to work each day, which comes out to about full, um, a little bit more than, uh, than a full day a week. So that's, you know, <laughs> um, so I, I, save, I save pretty much 15 hours a week because I'm not commuting. And been using these 15 hours for other things. Um, one of them, again, like Ellen, is, is developing my brown thumb. Hopefully it's going to go green soon. I've been having a love and, and a not so loving relationship with my Echeveria plants, elephant bush. Um, they're, they're being a little bit stubborn. Or maybe I'm just not patient enough. I'm not sure. Ellen mentioned that, you know, as a senior, she has <laughs> less patience. <laughs> I'm not sure if, if that will be my case. I'm already struggling with patience when it comes to my plants. Another thing is because I have more time on my shoulder, I've been able to exercise more. And, uh, you know, because the gym is literally just downstairs, I, I go from one room to my living room and there we go. <laughs> so I don't have an excuse to, to, to say that I can't go to the gym anymore. Um, not that I had an excuse before, it's just, it's just now I have more time. So I, I will say those, those are, are some of the, of the better highlights of, of quarantine. Okay, and we're going to be coming back to you. Many of you don't know, you inter we interacted with Israel the very first podcast because uh, he had sent me some questions. The, the city had an opportunity for us to participate in a discussion around what we want to see in the city plan. And 
it was four questions that I said, people are never going to write the answers to all these questions. So uh, we asked two of them at our first one, and that was when we discussed how safe do you feel in Vancouver, and we asked the question that he had about uh, culture. What do you think about uh, culture that's a, uh, available in Vancouver? So a couple of the questions uh, later he'll share with us so that everyone will get to interact. And it was so much better than writing down and sending a document with people's answers to organically hear what people had to say. But uh, I'm going to bring in Stephen. Stephen is one of the people that uh, joined through our visits to centers. And it's the first time you've been on our reality style show. So introduce yourself. Yes. Okay. My name's uh, Stephen, Stephen Hardy. And uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a member of the Quirky Writing Group which uh, you may have heard of. Uh, and so I'm a friend of Chris Morrissey, which I guess you know, she's yes. here today. And um, I, uh, I just got interested in this, I guess, from your presentation to us. And then with the COVID and everything, everything got kind of scuttled. And so I didn't have a chance to log in, but I'm glad that uh, I got a phone call from Robin a few days ago and she encouraged me to just check in. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and so my background, basically, I'm retired. I used to teach engineering, actually, at uh, Simon Fraser University. But I'm uh, retired from that now and just uh, kind of relaxing and doing things I want to do. So that's about all I need to say right now. But uh, we'll get to me a little later as, uh, as the podcasts progress. Okay. And by saying that you were an engineer, we have some people on the line who were retired from teaching, uh, engineering, broadcasting, and among the topics that we're going to be inviting uh, people to come in and answer questions are training programs. That there are a lot of training programs who are for people to get back into technology, uh, but they end at 60. <laughs> and so those of us who are over 65, I, we, we're asking, okay, why don't you have the tuition waiver? There are not tuition waivers for a lot of the uh, programs that would help people either get back into technology or training for other areas, customer service. There are a lot of things seniors can do. And uh, at each center, people raise one of the things that we want to change in the current paradigm or in the current perception is that seniors who want to go back to work or people of older people who want to go back to work should just be volunteers or be paid uh, a college, high school student's salary. So we are going to be raising those questions with people uh, from the parts of the government that deal with it. So as I've mentioned, we are going to have uh, people from 411, people from uh, other places such as Chris who have contact with senior advisors, contact with people that on the city of Vancouver who that's their portfolio or that's their interest area, we will have them on as a guest so that each of us who have those similar questions could ask them. And also uh, this group has looked at how we can be advocates. Whenever we have someone speak, we ask them if there's a, a, a call to action, if they'll give the email address, if there's a letter to be written, what's a call to action? So, for something that we can do rather than to just hear. So uh, we welcome your art. I know Quirky has got a book out and uh, 
Pat and Chris have both shared stories they've written, but we also welcome you to read other people's stories because we also, as a group, are publicizing or uh, supporting, talking about things that people are doing. We have one member, Emily, who's written a book. Uh, so as things emerge, uh, you'll have an opportunity to do a story, talk about your book if you've got a new course. Uh, this is a place and a platform for letting people uh, know, both the people that are participating in the podcast, but also our listeners, because we do have listeners. I've had people calling me. I had a lot of phone calls on um, Monday after Luke got up the, and sent out the first four uh, of our podcast. And then there have been other people that have wanted to have their students on, like, this is a class. And I said, no, they can't come on and watch us as a class. But <laughs> we'll have a podcast with them and see what skills they want to add. Like, we have, a, out of the 40-some people, there are only about 10 that are have either learned how to get onto Zoom or identified another issue that I spoke with someone about yesterday. The phone bills are too high. Some people have not been able to afford their phone bills. So they've talked about, is there a need to ask uh, Shaw, uh, Rogers, the other companies to have a special package for seniors? And um, and if they're people that have gently used phones, people, you know, some people, as soon as a new phone comes out, they put down a perfectly good phone and jump. So this particular um, woman is going to ask among her network, if there are people that have phones that they might donate. We do have people donating. We, the 411 Center got a donation of com, com, computers. And the very week we were going to hand them out was the week that the center had to stop because of safe distancing. But we are definitely seeing that that's going to be something that we will be discussing and seeing, you know, somebody just looking at how we can advocate for that. So Ishmael, will you tell, do you want to share a couple of those other questions that you wanted to have uh, feedback from my group? Uh, oh, we can't hear you. You have to unmute. Hi. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I was saying that as a caveat, it's important for me to mention that I am not employed, I'm not an employee, I'm not a contractor of the city of Vancouver. I simply got in touch with them last summer to explore opportunities for students and other stakeholders in the university to be involved with any pressing local issues of which the Vancouver plan, as I came to learn, was one. And Part of one of, embedded in the Vancouver Plan initiative is that Vancouver Plan staff want to and see the benefit of collaborating with other organizations or groups in order to have these conversations. And so my, my role at CECL, where I work, was simply to invite people, um, especially those in the university, to come and have these conversations. It is my understanding that the city, the Vancouver Plan staff would prefer to work directly with the different groups and different organizations um, because a different approach may be necessary um, as they work with different groups and different organizations. 
And so the, the, my suggestion would be that it will be best for you to directly get in touch with the Vancouver plant staff themselves, um, develop that relationship and, and, and see what questions they may have that is more pertinent to your group if that's where they are at. And so the questions that I have are, um, are, were suggested by the Vancouver Plan team, uh, Vancouver Plan staff, and they had a variety of questions of which we chose five for the stakeholders at UBC. So the extent to which it would be relevant for you, I am not too sure, which is why it's always better to have that direct relationship with the Vancouver Plan staff. But since we are here, I'm sure that some of the questions that uh, I have and that the two that you have already um, spoke about are, are close to heart. And so uh, please let me know if any of these questions are, are not close to heart and are not relevant. Now, ultimately what happens is we collect this, these information and we write a report based on the information that we've collected. And then we send that to the Vancouver Plan staff for them to use in their broader analysis of what um, uh, stakeholders and, and residents and others are saying in, when it comes to their questions. And so since uh, Powered by Age is an, is an organization that has its own mandates, that has its own stakeholders and you know its own direct relationship with the city. Um, it will it will not be the best approach for us to add your information into our report. But because this is recorded, um, I will be more than happy to connect you, Charlotte, with uh, somebody from the Vancouver Plan staff, and you can provide them the recordings of the answers so that they can use it in their analysis and report. How does that sound? Well, it sounds good that we are able to discuss it in this format because uh, I didn't say at the beginning, this project, <laughs> Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City, uh, is the second year of our podcasting and it's funded by the City of Vancouver and the 411 Center. And one of the specific purposes was to elicit what older people would like to see as a profile, the change profile for Vancouver. And uh, they didn't specifically say it's going in the city plan, but I know all of these initiatives, there's a larger uh, initiative that the city planning council had of the, a city that works for all. So in as much as we discuss it here, and there are people from those different city elements listening to our podcast, then it is a good way for us to uh, maybe just maybe if you ask, share what three of those are that were, were not answered, or we can find out from this group, are there things that they want to address? And it's good that it will go into your report. And then it also is a recording of our, uh, our, our program. It'll also get to them as well. Yeah. So just, just to reiterate is that the, the, the conversation on the, on, on the Vancouver plan questions that I have that is happening on this podcast, um, I, I, would, I would suggest that we send directly the raw data, meaning the recordings, mm -hmm. to the plan team staff. 
and they will be able to analyze it and put it in their report. Because the, the expectation is that the report that is being created through at CECL is a report that is specifically about what the UBC stakeholders are, are predominantly saying. Um, I think it will I think it'll be better to differentiate the two because there are some concerns and wisdoms and insights and experiences that seniors have that that you know other people may not have to the same extent or different that would get lost if we take your responses and put it in. So here's what people at UBC are saying. I think uh, you know the value of your information will will get will get lost simply by the sheer number of the people that we have we have that, that participated in our consultations. Um, and and I'll be more than happy to broker that that relationship and connect you directly with with staff in the Vancouver plan. In regards to the questions, I have some questions and and. Um, I, I, I will list the three questions and then we can and we can decide as a group which one you would like to presentation on first. Can you tell me the the time that you have for this the Vancouver plan question conversations? Um, we have about twenty minutes. Okay. So maybe we can do uh, roughly seven seven minutes per per question. Okay. And and being mindful as well that ever since COVID-19 happened, I'm sure the Vancouver Plan team have other questions and other priorities, but we will go with the questions that we had prior to the COVID-19. So the, I'm did you, you already had a conversation about the first question, which is what do you need to feel safe in Vancouver, correct? Yes, that and the culture question we discussed. Okay, the culture question was what would arts and culture look like in um, in an ideal Vancouver. So here are the other three questions and we can start with whichever one you would like. The first is, what would a thriving relationship between nature and urban life look like in Vancouver? What would a thriving relationship between nature and urban life look like in Vancouver? That's the relationship between the city and the environment. The second question is, what would a city that truly adopts reconciliation and decolonization look like? What would a city that truly adopts reconciliation and decolonization look like? And finally, what are the characteristics of a healthy workforce and workplace? What are the characteristics of a healthy workforce and workplace. So of these three, which would you like to start off with first? Okay, any one of you can answer what would be your favor to start with? Well, I think we could spend a whole session on any one of these. But what would be your favorite? If there were one you were going to start with right now, what would be your, your preferred? Well, we've all been talking about gardening, so uh, probably the nature. I one. think the urban nature. Yeah, I like that one too. Okay, so I will put these questions on the chat just in case any of you want to refer back. So okay. So here comes uh, the first question, and 
popcorn style, feel free to share whenever um, in any particular order. Or, or maybe, Charlotte, do you want to facilitate? I can just ask. Well, no, you can facilitate uh, just in whatever order people want to address that question. About. Okay. So what would a thriving relationship between nature and urban life look like? When you think about the, the environment and the city, um, anything from, from parks to access to nature, you know, the transit that takes us there, their proximity to where we live, um, the types of vegetations or, or ecology that we have, anything that speaks to mind to you, that comes to mind to you when it comes to, 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 to nature and urban life in Vancouver, um, what would one that is ideal look like for you, that is thriving look like for you? Um, I kind of have a, I was, I grew up in London, England, and when I came to Vancouver, I was very impressed with how there was a balance here so much compared to where I grew up. So I see there are a lot of positives in Vancouver already. Um, to keep it thriving as Vancouver has developed, I think we, we are in danger of losing that. But to keep Vancouver green, uh, to keep urban wildlife thriving, to encourage uh, urban gardening, allotments, that kind of thing. Um, there are a lot of park spaces. I think we should try to maintain and enhance those. But uh, yeah, just I think Vancouver already has done a lot of positive things. It's a matter of looking at it and supporting that and not losing it as the city grows. Can you tell me more about what you mean enhancing and supporting the existing green spaces? Um, well, there are, you know, in Vancouver, there are a lot of green spaces. Um, on two levels okay so on one level we still have a lot of single family houses that have backyard gardens you know there's a lot of those in east van you know the old italian communities especially um as people now as real estate becomes much more expensive uh people are moving out of single family houses they're moving into condos and apartments um so you know, the individual family is perhaps losing that chance to have their own garden. So perhaps supporting that with a community garden space perhaps would be one thing. And then on the sort of the higher level, the parks, you know, the city parks that we have that are quite lovely, um, just to keep funding them and, you know, keep maintaining them and, and not letting them shrink. You know, there could be a chance as Vancouver grows to uh, actually cut back on some of the park space and turn it into real estate. I think that would be very sad. Mm. Chris? Um, <clears throat> just a, a little jumping off from that, I, I agree that um, the, the, the development is really making a huge difference in Vancouver. And I also agree that... Uh, I mean, one of the things, the, the Vancouver Public Library has done a rooftop garden. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm wondering whether in terms of development and development plans that they actually require uh, developers to have some sort of uh, green space or, or I don't know how it would work on a tall, on a tall tower. 
but that there's something that's built into that development that does include some green space. The other thing that I'm, I lived for four years on the west side and I came back to the east side, trees. There are very few trees on the east side. On the west side, there's, you drive down a street and there's trees on both sides. They've been there for a long time. They're, they're, they're large, they're beautiful. Some of them are flowering, but on the east side, not at all. Uh, and I've lived on, I lived on the east side before this for like 20, 20 some years. So I'm quite familiar. So I think that th there does need to be more, uh, more development of things on the east side. Um, yes, there's a couple of parks. There's the Grandview Woodlands Park and there's, uh, there's the one at, at uh, on Kensington Park, I think it is. But there's not as many, there's not as many and there's not, there's not kind of some of the smaller kind of parks that I've seen on the on the west side. So it doesn't have to be a huge expanse, but having something that's more local and that maybe is smaller, because unless you live near those parks, people are not necessarily going to have the time or the energy to be going to those parks, especially with their kids. So that's my thought, two of them. You know, I worked in Toronto and at a period where there were a, a lot of council people who were advocating for keeping some green space and the health department uh, supported or was an advocate for people who wanted to do what they call vest pocket parks, kind of what you were talking about. It's yeah. not a great big space, but just uh, a space at the end of a, of a street where uh, there's a place for people to walk around. There's some tables just a gathering space so that you didn't have to think of clearing a huge area but you could just have these vest pocket parks every few blocks or so people so people could get out and both congregate as well as see flowers or whatever uh, but i think there i think there are some pocket parts parks in vancouver i've seen a couple on the west side but the other piece about pocket parks is they have to be bit they have to be a big park a big <laughs> pocket right um, because to have a couple of tables and something like that is not, I mean, it's okay for, it's okay, but I think we need to sort of strike a bit of a balance between um, the, the amount of space that's used for development and the amount of space that's used for, uh, for enhancing our lives. Um, yeah, and, and absolutely. And just, just, following up and reminding as well that in, in having a conversation about nature that there's there's the green spaces and, and there's also the waters, um, there's also the land, there's also the air, is our air clean enough and all these other all these other things. And so um, just, just letting you know that this word nature can be unpacked in whatever way you would like to take it. We had talked about money and how the cost of living in Vancouver and I live in the area around 29th uh, in Fraser, and houses all along these blocks, most of them are three stories and they've been developed so that they are they're rentals. And people have a balcony and I would love to have be able to go to someplace. <laughs> I wonder what does the city do with the compost? If there were a way you could get a little compost almost like a kit so that you get on your little balcony space set up uh 
a growing area for spices, herbs, maybe, you know, the miniature cucumbers, but just something that something that people could get that would be just like a little grower's box and it would have uh, the, the, the dirt, maybe some compost and some seeds. And you could take it home and be able to easily set it up on your back porch or the little bit of the city could help us to have, I would, I would think that would be very environmentally, you know, friendly and also help economically. Are there any additional comments to this question? My, my timer just rang that we've had seven minutes, but I think this is one of those questions that people really want to get involved. So I, I'd like to make one more comment that's kind of based on what Charlotte has just said, and that is the paving over of backyards. Mm. So many backyards these days are just paved and used for parking. And so I agree with uh, whoever said something about the Italians and the, and the backyard gardens, because I used to live in that area and there were a lot of them. But nowadays, m most things, I think there's an issue with the parking, but that means that, that the land gets, gets covered over with cement. Mm -hmm. Is there a song about that? I think, does it Judy Collins have a the song? yellow taxi. Do have a parking lot? Yeah, the big yellow taxi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's just, that's just another thought, I mean, in terms of development plans and things like that. Yeah, so, I've noticed that with uh, new houses as well, particularly maybe not so relevant to the East End, but I've noticed I live here in New Westminster and new houses that go up, I mean, they're mega houses, they're made with, you know, like two basement suites or whatever, but the whole yard is parked in cement, is, you know, covered in cement. And it's done, I think, because it's convenient for the homeowner, they don't have to garden. But um, that could, uh, you know, city regulations could maybe speak yeah. to that that you know they talk about the footprint of the house but they don't talk about the the surrounds of the house how much can be under cement and how much can be grass or should be grass and in fact cement is unhealthy you know mm. walking on cement pulls nutrients out of your body so little kids mm. are out there playing on it as i've seen looking out on when i go out to bang my pots and there are people <laughs> along the back that there are a lot of little kids and you know that there's this there's just all this cement so that yeah and incredibly hot in the summertime uh we have actually a new house next door to us which has kind of reminded me of this there was a small house there before they had trees in the backyard um when the people moved into the new house they cut down all the trees and we said to him at the time you know this is going to be very hot and he didn't listen and then of course he was complaining it was hot and then he had to build a, a kind of a, a patio thing to to create shade whereas he could have just left the trees and left you know not cemented it it's just yeah and then global warming right the more cement yeah. you have the more hot your area becomes yeah i i have a related follow-up question which is is there have you seen any difference in how you experience and use so to speak nature when you became a senior in other words is there a way that that seniors understand or something they want out of their experience with nature or concerns about nature that may be different from when um you know you, you were not a senior or maybe different from the present concerns that non-seniors have oh, sorry yeah i think i feel more connection to nature now maybe it's a factor of time that i'm spending more time in the garden more time just walking just for pleasure rather than to go somewhere 
um, more awareness perhaps, and also a concern for future generations. What's the world going to be like in 30 years time? What do you think, Stephen? Uh, okay, I'll just uh, say a few words on that, Charlotte. Um, I think that um, basically, uh, if we back up a little bit, and and uh, and as a senior, I'm outside of the the sort of the economic whirlpool that uh, that that I was in when I was earning a living and and working. Um, so I am able to step outside of that box and and see a little bit about where this has all come from and and why these urban slums, in, in fact, that, that we live in are, are so dehumanizing for us. And, and I, I think, I see I'm, I'm Métis and uh, I'm, I'm also two-spirited and of course, and, and uh, I think that basically that's given me a, a, a bit of a different perspective. Uh, when, I was, when I was young, I um, saw very much what rural life was like and I can, I can imagine what a, a a humanizing city would be like that would in fact promote the humanizing values of of the, of the population instead of instead of trying to pave us emotionally pave us over with concrete and and I I think that basically we have to approach it from the point of view of looking at what the economic situation is that we're enmeshed in and changing that and and making some changes in in what we can what we can do with with the the means of production and, and 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 the and the situation we're in. I mean, why does the mayor find it necessary to to meet with the planners and and, and developers and the development community so much? Mm. Why is that? And why is he not spending same amounts of time with um, with uh, ordinary people? And and so when I. Yeah. When I, when I, when I, when I supported him for mayor, I was really hopeful that that this was going to turn out, and and that he wasn't was in fact going to, going to get get away from the development uh, mindset. But no, it's not happened, and so we're living in just the same sort of urban slum <laughs> that uh, that we always did in Vancouver, and it's not getting better. So anyway, that's my two cents worth right now. So I'll I'll press mute and let someone else talk. Yeah, well, actually, uh, I agree with a, a lot that you say, Stephen. Um, for me, I think because I'm older, I have definitely had a shift in priorities. And things that were not important to me when I was 30 or 40, or even 50, are important to me now. And this connection, I think, with the simple things in life, that's one of them. It brings me joy to walk down the side streets in the West End, like um, Bidwell Street or Cardero Street, or uh, they're beautifully um, treed, old, old trees down those streets. And at this time of year, the birds are just, it's a cacophony of noise, and I just love it. I love to walk down there and hear it. It, it just uplifts my spirit. So. If, you had, if I had said that to myself 30 years ago, would I have had the same experience? Doubtful, <laughs> really doubtful. Um, and, and I think that's as a result, a natural result for me of getting as old as I am because I've learned to appreciate these things. I talk 
on my walks down those streets, I talk to everything. I talk to squirrels, I talk to dogs, I talk to young children. And it's, it's part of my daily, or it has been until the last couple of months, um, part of my daily routine. So I'm not quite sure if that answers your question, whether, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg. But for me, that's, that's, that's how it is, that I have developed a greater affinity for simple things, for uh, being aware of things around me. So, and I'm very, very fortunate, I will say that, that I do live in the West End. It's a beautiful place. And even though it's going under some severe densification at the moment, which, you know, life, I guess, progress, life goes on. But nevertheless, I do think the city has made an attempt to preserve some of the feel of the place most of the high-rises that are going up around here, they do have um, space on the 15th floor for gardens, for trees, for and on the roof, um, that kind of thing. There are pocket parks in, in the West End, which do attract um, birds and, and various animals, skunks a lot of times, which are not so welcome, but, but you know, it, it, it does. It, it's kind of a very live environment. So it, the thing is that I think these kind of areas are confined to maybe the west side or the west end, mm -hmm. and that they're, they're, they don't exist to the same extent yeah. um, elsewhere in the city. Yeah. Um, and that's too bad. I think this could be sort of a template. Um, well, I think you're right so that they high rises, but they yeah. don't they don't exist in other parts of the city. And one reason they exist here in the West End, where I'm living too, one reason is that um, the zoning regulations have prevented it, prevented the densification any more than it is. But all it would take would be a one-line change in the zoning bylaws for the West End, and the cranes would move in the next month. That's all it would take. All it would take would be to remove the height restrictions. So it's a fine line between what you and I both love about an urban, about some aspects of an urban environment and what it could become very, very easily. Yeah, it's true. Life is a fine line, though. Yes, There are always those four and those again. It's all, we're always competing, competing interests, can't, can't avoid it. But I, I appreciate what you're saying. I would hate for there to be like 50-story buildings go up around here. I, that would, it would destroy it. Well, Ellen, what do you think? of nature <laughs> that's why you know where i live in surrey it's surrounded with lots of trees right a uh, few years ago our uh, you know where where i live the the backyard is lots of trees in there and then uh, well uh, the mayor tried to you know uh, put a road in between the inside the park so we were all we were all a little mad that way because you know they're cutting off some of the trees right but now they planted some trees and so uh the new the park it was uh it has a new new say it's not they renovated it but they when they put the road inside the park they still planted more trees besides so i'm a little happy now not like before years ago two years ago you know we were all doing our best not to not not to have those trees cut for the road, but well, we we don't we don't know what to do, right? So it's the mayor's decision. So 
he just let it down. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's good now. It's trees growing. Now I can, you know, uh, have some uh, fresh air to breathe. And I love when it's when there are lots of trees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. As many people have mentioned trees, uh, you know, from a health standpoint, trees help uh, yeah. clean the air. They help with mm -hmm. our lungs. Mm -hmm. They help it with is. breathing. Yeah. They help with the cooling. So I think being advocates mm -hmm. where we hear that there are measures that uh, a city council or any group is discussing that we can share their information so that we can go to those meetings because as we were developing um, a strategy for how do we make the voices of older people, seniors or people over 55, however we want to characterize ourselves, uh, known, it's to be active in community meetings that a lot of times we're not That's there right. and then there are other people that are just guessing. So all of us have looked at uh, this podcast and other uh, virtual communications people have as a way of sharing when there's a meeting or an opportunity to weigh in on discussions about zoning or weigh in on discussions about parks or making trees available. There was a news item on the weekend about a group that did their fundraising. They had uh, trees, baby trees, and they went to uh, a housing development and they planted trees all along the way. And the owners of the development were so happy, they. Uh, had stuff out helping you know, with shovels and dirt so that they were able to plant um, some 30 trees around. And they said over time, people will be able to come out and they can get fruit. So it helps with the you know, food insecurity uh, issue if we can have more fruit trees around in urban places. So as, as Leslie mentioned, any of these questions are related with Sylvie, we can, we can really unpack it a little bit more and, and maybe um, when when you reach when when I when I introduce you to the Vancouver Plan staff, uh, maybe they will they will have additional questions or or follow up questions in, regarding any of the things that were mentioned here. But um, for for uh, the sake of time, I wonder which of the remaining question there's two more you would like to explore. So the second question is, what would a city that truly adopts reconciliation and, decol and decolonization look like? And the other one is, what are the characteristics of a healthy workforce and workplace? Um, now, that, that last question was, was uh, particularly chosen um, for a, a, a section of the population that is going into work or that is currently working. Um, there may be some of you that are still working uh, in a, at a different capacity, or that could also be an opportunity for reflecting over how the workforce and the workplace has changed over time. And maybe you have some, some insights and some hopes and wishes to share. And, and also the topic of reconciliation and decolonization is a, is a very important topic as we um, you know, prioritize in the city and other places of, of Canada our relationship with the first peoples of this land. Um, so uh, which of these two topics would you like to explore in the remaining, I guess, seven minutes? Is that is that it? Well, don't all talk at once. <laughs> which one would you rather? I'm just not sure we'll be able to uh, do any of them justice in five minutes. Well, we could begin if someone has a has a particular one that you want to comment on or alternatively if 
you have a suggestion of a new question that you think is more pertinent to this group, we can also explore that. But those are just... Uh, I would like us to, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in this podcast, but the whole issue of reconciliation and decolonization, I mean, I, I, that's a really, really uh, significant and important thing. And I, I struggle, um, you know, at every meeting and stuff, we do the, we do the statement that we're on, on unceded territory. But beyond that, um, I find it difficult to, to understand or to see because we're in a culture that is so, um, I'm just going to say, so westernized. I mean, our culture, the culture that was here in this land and that's still in parts of this land is totally foreign to most of us. So I, I don't quite know what direction to go in or, how, you know, what to do. I know on, our, on, on one of the feeds that I'm on, I have a whole, a whole reading thing of decolonization, which I haven't read yet. <laughs> Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, um, Chris. I, 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 looking at, because of my upbringing, because I, I look at everything from a WASP yes. perspective, because yeah. that's how I was raised. If you suggested to me that I was discriminatory, I would be absolutely horrified. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is that we we have biases that we're totally totally unaware of I, I remember when i first came to bc i'd been in canada in the east for about a year and i i was working in prince george hmm. and one day um my boss i was working in a law firm said come on so i'm going to take you to the inn of the north for a drink on a friday afternoon his name is murray sadler and um he was a lawyer in Prince George for a long, long time. And we got to talking about, for example, residential schools. I, 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 I honestly hadn't really thought about the ramifications of that. What, what did that, does that mean to the people? I thought, oh, well, um, indigenous people in Canada live, you know, uh, in remote areas. And this is the way they do things. This is, this is how um, their kids get to go to school. And it, my, and it was Murray Sadler who gave me the first um, lesson that I had about how um, that was really breaching people's human rights. Mm -hmm. And I had never ever um, looked at it from that perspective before. And I think that's the problem, Chris. It's basically, we don't know what we don't know. So the, the question is better put to indigenous people than to, to Westerners, Europeans. Um, you know, how do they say, see it? Because um, I'm at a loss too. I, I, I wouldn't know what to do because I, I'm not aware of, um, I'm just not aware. So I, I agree with Sophie. you. Yeah. For the people that do not know what WASP means, what does that mean? It means white, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant. Protestant. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I agree. The only thing is that when I think back to a lot of the uh, anti-oppression work, um, I've been told by people who belong to those groups, including the group that I belong to, that it's up to, up to us to do, it's up to me as a WASP, I'm not a wasp, 
because I'm not a Protestant, but it's up to me to actually do my own education. I think it's one thing to invite people to 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 talk about these things, but but it's not their job to educate us. So I mean, I I, I learned that principle in terms of the in terms of racism and 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 that kind of thing. Um, so so I think I would suggest that we need to do some of our own work first, and then then we could be in a more respectful position to actually invite someone, whether it's here or somewhere else, to actually share a bit more with us. Because we could say, I, I don't understand such and such. And then maybe they could explain it to us. Like, I don't understand the, the powwows, or I don't understand the sweat lodges. You know, can you tell me more about that? So I, th I think at least we'd be coming from a place of, of more information and, and, and more knowledge rather than just putting out and saying, well, I don't know anything about decolonization. That's my that, that's what I've learned. I mean, I think you I think it's right that we do. It is important to have some consultation. Um, but uh, but I think they go hand in hand. Um, well, what comment I have as a black woman who who uh, yeah has had kind of the experience from one hand where people wanted me to be their source of information on what was my experience. You know, what does it feel like and there are some things that people could know by just reading the history of 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 Canada or paying attention for some things. But on the other hand, one of the goals for this podcast was to uh, include people of in um, different races, different ages, um, and have indigenous people involved. So, and also to dispel the notion that indigenous people are just people that are outside, but right in the urban area, right in the workplace, yeah. there are issues that people uh, yeah. have. And, and so I have reached out I, last year, uh, there was an indigenous film festival. It was wonderful. It was held on, I think many of the spaces that Simon Fraser uh, has in downtown theaters. And the films that people showed were great because some of them were showing ways that uh, indigenous people are helping young people uh, that grew up in an urban area, know nothing of, of customs. They were taking them on a boat ride and along the boat ride, they saw how people used to gather, used to greet people when they would come aboard on the shore. But it was such a, a diverse range of films that helped with all of the issues that we are discussing, uh, the uh, residential schools and why that's still an issue, uh, why there's an issue about the violation of land rights when putting in the pipeline. So I'm going to reach out to, I interviewed a number of people who were filmmakers for the Indigenous Film Festival and see if we might be able to have them on um, yeah. the program. And then yeah. we are going to, there was a red, red, I get the title wrong, but there, there was a report written by Indigenous women. And I'm going to, um, we're getting some help from um, Marion at the Senior Center, the, the Marion Pollock, the uh, president of the board. She was on last week. Uh, and she is going to help facilitate getting people, not to just come in as a guest, but people who would come in as podcasters. So we're working toward that because that was part of the goals of this new uh, expanded age-friendly city to have people that represent uh, yeah. the diversity. diversity. Yes. Yeah.
So now we do have one person now who's here on the screen, Stephen, who's Métis. Um, so we, ha we do have someone who has a lived experience of what that's like. I quite, I sent him a couple of, um, oh yes, Women Rising, Red Women Rising. Yes, when, that's the one that I was yeah. speaking of. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, sent a, I sent a chat to Stephen to see why, uh, to see if he's still in his PJs, and that's why we can't actually see him <laughs> live and moving. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why my video is frozen. I'm, I don't oh. know. I mean, all I see is the little uh, um, uh, th thumbprint here that, yeah, I seem to be stuck in one place, don't I? You are, yes. <laughs> With your eyes well, shut, are you, are you sure you haven't nodded off there? Well, I don't know. I might have. I might have just nodded off, and, and, and who, who knows? Maybe that's... What I'm destined to be uh, for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the podcast. I don't know. That's what I anyway, said. Anyway, it seems that my video was frozen for some reason. Oh, okay. You, I said you look like you're sleeping. Are you still in your PJs? Well, there's a possibility too. <laughs> see, all Who I knows? see is a black screen, so I don't know what happened there. <laughs> okay. Oh, really? I think another thing we can do as well. There was the city planning council held this. Uh, summit where they invited people and 19 different topic groups to talk about what would it take us to make a city that works for all and mm -hmm. there was a group called culture there was and within the cultural group uh, a diverse range of, of uh, communities were represented and they said one of the things we need to do is learn about each other they advocated for longhouses mm -hmm. that we one of the structures we need to have is a longhouse yeah. uh, Stephen, do you know more? Can you tell more about what is a longhouse? Well, uh, no, I don't know too much about that. That's mainly the, the First Nations from the coast here, and I'm not too familiar with, with their culture. My, my cultural background is from the prairies of, of Canada, uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan. Uh, so I know the traditions there a little bit, but um, not so much on the coast here. But yeah, there seem to be longhouses in many, many different communities here on the coast. Yeah. Well, that was one of the recommendations that was made that uh, Vancouver established more longhouses, not just for members of that particular nation, but where people of different ethnic groups don't have, who don't have an opportunity to wear uh, some of their heritage dress, to have food and to exchange it with each other, that would be, would be good for us to exchange our traditions and as a way of getting traditions honored, uh, having them honored in the workplace and churches and so forth, if we had a number of longhouses. So that speaks a bit too to the cultural uh, if, yeah. question. So, so in, in coming to the end of the podcast, but not the end of this conversation, if you had to reiterate what you shared to answer the question in a more direct way, which is, what would a city that truly adopts reconciliation and decolonization look like? And you can, you can obviously um, answer that in, in a way that speaks to your pos positionality as a, as a, as a, as a white Anglo-Saxon, whatever, or you know, as a senior or as, as, a, as a racialized person, it's all up to you. But if you had to reiterate everything that you've shared, what would that city that truly adopts decolonization, reconciliation, reconciliation look like? For me, it would be a population of more educated white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, Europeans, you know, uh, more in tune with um, the indigenous population, for me. 
that would be the starting point it would have to be for me yeah before any specifics were addressed yeah. another thing that strikes me as something that would be very easy for the city to do and that's to get rid of all the street names that say Prince this, mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> King, all Prince. The, all of the royal <laughs> names Agreed. that are a hangover from colonization, right? I mean, it might not, it, it doesn't seem like a very deep thing, but, but I think it would trigger a lot more thought, um, you know, instead of, instead of, Oh, I live on King Edward. No, <laughs> yes. So, so that that would at least provide people with some kind of a touchstone. I know a lot of people would be really pissed off. They would. Yeah, they would. I have to say that in the West End here, we have um, a few lanes now yeah. that have been renamed with yes. women, the names of women, yes. and the names of some indigenous um, yes. Yeah. So yes. it's a start, I suppose. Yes. Yes. I know they're doing that in the West End, but there's so many streets in Vancouver that have nothing to do with, I mean, there's more streets in Vancouver that have to do with colonization than they have to do with the people who lived here first on the land. Okay. Oh, so it's just, it's just a thought. Um, and That's it's something. Yeah. yeah, it's something that I think it would be difficult in terms of communication and learning, but it's very easy to actually change change the signs on the streets. I think public meetings, um, it seemed that as there are different holidays, the different groups, people of different nationalities have times, have things that they celebrate. And just the mainstream of the media, our CBC as a a Canadian broadcasting system or the national news, if they highlight it uh, different times, they will just highlight maybe one or two things, but there are hundreds of different holidays and customs that could be slotted into the weekend news or slotted into spaces so that people just learn from seeing it. Because what people see on TV or what they see on the big screen, they take as being the culture or the standard of the place. So I think advocating for that in letters that we write, uh, you know, mm -hmm. tweet or whatever to the national media, that would be one way of encouraging them to be more inclusive and make it normal to see uh, mm -hmm. different cultures, uh, different traditions, different ways people celebrate than the way it's done now. Mm -hmm. Yes, because one of the things I know, I know about Ramadan, mm -hmm. but I don't know, I don't know anything about, I know about Louis, Louis Real, but that's about as far as my knowledge of, um, of indigenous holidays goes. I mean, I know, I said, there is one day that is, uh, is called Indigenous Day nationally. Um, I used to remember the date, but it's gone right now. It's the 25th. Uh, you mean June 21st? That's right. Yes. June 21st, yes. first yes. day of summer. That's right, yes. Thank you, Stephen, even though you've disappeared totally now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened. I, I'm, I've just turned a black, totally black screen. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it is June 21st, and that's National Indigenous Day. That's right. That's right. Thank you. And what a shame that it's just one day when we have a month for Women's Month, a month for Nutrition Month, a month for Poetry Month. So that's something that we could do uh, to advocate and broaden, even in what we plan to do during June. You know, there's some things during June 
what are we going to do for, for podcasts for uh, doing Pride Week happens at different times during the different prov provinces, but I think we might want to think ahead of, you know, is there special broadcasts? Some of the different issues, such as what Chris mentioned about uh, immigrant workers, um, some of the LGBTQ issues that happen among uh, within the unions. I mean, some of the other areas besides just uh, the typical things that people discuss. How can we press to give a greater, broader uh, look into what does pride mean? What are we proud about? Or what are, what what what's been accomplished? And where is there still work to be done? And how can we address that both through uh, cultural presentations as well as interviews? Uh, June is right around the corner, so yes. those of you. <laughs> who've been creating and presenting uh, can start thinking and you know suggesting. Because I'll let each of you know, everybody does have a mentor. We haven't talked that much about uh, the role of a mentor because when we were meeting all together, there were different times when some of you would stay up in a small group and work with me, some would be in a small group working down with Luke, some would be with Robin. But now uh, we're all, <laughs> here together. So we've kind of divided people up so that some of you, like if you have a phone call from Adele or you have a phone call from me or a phone call from Robin, it's because we're trying to uh, establish it sometimes aside from our podcast time when you could talk ideas about content and talk ideas about ways to, uh, if we have an eight minute time, for example, of stories, do we need to mix some music in? What are the breaks we need to do? We're looking at both the style as well as the content. So yeah. your ideas are welcome and input are welcome. Uh, we're also with uh, Peggy from the Senior Affairs Council, we want to look at other topics like for next next week and as we go into June, are there particular topics that you want to make sure that we that you have a priority for? Um, someone, when, Ellen, when you talked about the fact that seniors still need to work, a lot of people don't picture that. So is that something that you'd like to see us get, uh, have a discussion about and maybe get someone that we can interview or that's, that's in their portfolio from a city or provincial standpoint? Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, we can have that next week. Characteristics of healthy workforce, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and of, of opportunities to get back to work because. Yeah. Uh, someone said one of the backlashes that might happen with COVID is people will think that older people are at greater risk and so they will be even less hired um, because people are free. Are, the, the perception is, we're the people that can make people sick, where it's actually we're at greater risk from being sick from others. But just people. get some clarification, pull people in who could talk about, uh, I think, as you said, the need to highlight ways that we could still get employment that is at a living wage. Is that paraphrasing kind of what you said, Ella? Yeah, that's right. What is another topic that we would shoot for, both even having somebody we could... Uh, interview or that we might um, have a special presentation that one of you might want to do. I, I, did, I did notice, um, Charlotte, that we have seem to have quite a number of activists on board. And I'm really interested in that. I, 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 I finally got to see Granny Power 
about the raging grannies and I've, I've done a mm -hmm. written a, a thing about it but it, it seems to me that um, I, I by no means would call myself an activist but there I do know people who have spent their lives being activists and I've got some wonderful quotes from this granny power movie about that so mm -hmm. I just wondered if there was anything there um, and as you know using the raging grannies as a kind of a theme um, activism then, activism now, is it as effective, um, you know, the Occupy movement, I don't know much about that. Um, but also, it, it, you can mix it up because Raging Grannies were known for their songs, mm -hmm. their satirical songs. Mm -hmm. And so, if we have anyone musical in our bunch, maybe they would like to sing some or something like that, you know, just to... <laughs> shake it up a bit but anyway that's um that's a topic that i i, I think is interested to pursue um I, I don't think i'm the person to do it but um i think there we have lots of activists in our in our numbers here yes <laughs> and that's the thing that marion marion um had a, an appointment that she couldn't miss today but that's one of the things that um she's been a lifetime activists and if we wanted to connect with who are some of the activists uh and issues that we could get engaged in because beyond just hearing about activists you know what can we do what are things that we can do now what can we put on people's plates exactly okay uh, what about uh do we want to do something throughout june or how will we address pride issues and what pride issues do we want to do during june Maybe uh, Chris. And I, I would like to suggest in in BC in Vancouver we don't do June we do August. Oh, okay. Um, in part because there's across the country so many people do it in June, and so if you want to go to Toronto Pride uh, and you're having your own Pride here, then you can't do both. So our pride, and I know that they're they're planning something virtual for pride because we can't have a parade this year. Mm -hmm. So so I think August would be better for that. I think in June because June first is seniors' day. Seniors, there's that week, the first week of June is seniors' week. Really? So that, yes. Uh huh. Because, you know, October 1st is International Seniors Day. That's when we did the big showcase of our uh, podcast. But yes, we could look at right. it. But here in Vancouver, here in Vancouver, it's designated more or less as the first week of June. The, uh, the, the Arts, Health and Seniors program has a big showcase. Now this year it's going to be different and we're not going to have one. So <clears throat> there are, and lots of community centers do things in, 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 in that early June for, for seniors week. Um, and, and then the other thing I think, because June 21st is the National Indigenous Day, I think maybe we should spend a bit of time looking at that. Maybe we could get the, I'm not sure what all the Red Ribbon report contains, whether that would be a time we want to have some excerpts from it, or um, maybe we could talk a bit, you know, offline about what what people, what resources we want to give. Because if there's some things that people could read, the point that you made that uh, 
educate ourselves. If there are things we could read maybe the week before, we have the podcast so that we could have a richer discussion mm -hmm. about those things. Mm -hmm. uh, I think June 21st or sometime during that week, it's also national or international test week. It's a time to remind people to get tested for HIV. Um, the date, Okay, well, we have had a wonderful conversation. We know somewhere of where we're going. Um, Sylvie, there are some, uh, there's some other people from, uh, that are interested in the granny power uh, discussion. And so we'll work to try and maybe connect a Zoom call with you and uh, some people from that small group when we were meeting that were really interested in that that topic and see what we can uh, do with making that a topic for next week and then working toward the senior week uh, for the first week, you know, when we go into June, yeah. the first Thursday yeah. in June. Okay, well, at this point, I would sing a song. <laughs> 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 and I'm an old, I don't know who remembers the Mickey Mouse Club. It was so hokey when they'd say, you know, and, and, and uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful time in our neighborhood. And I'm so glad that you've been my neighbors. We've been neighbors together today and learned more about each other. And we know where we're going. So thank you so much for another day of Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City ambassadors at large. And thank you for being our special guest. You're, wel you're welcome to continue with us, Shamel. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It was a beautiful conversation. Yeah, I have a question. Are we going to invite Ishmael back to discuss some of these other questions that he has? The only one other question that I have that we didn't explore today is in regards to uh, the workplace, workplace and, and, and workforce, what are the characteristics of a healthy workplace and workforce? And uh, Yeah, that's not really relevant to retired people, but you typed up a couple of others too, one about arts and culture and one about safety. Well, we talked about that the first week. Okay. We okay. had those questions and uh, the very first podcast discussion, we were playing with the tool that, that uh, Luke had do we still have that tool the the the, the question video yeah. yeah we haven't got there yet but we're getting there <laughs> yeah it's something we'll be able to use where a person asks a question and then the group answers it or whoever wants to to answer it so it's just another fun thing when we say this podcast is fun it's another fun thing that we'll be able to do we also will be exploring maybe in some of the individual or small group conversations we work you know, our, our mentoring production assistance work with, we might be looking at what a Google Meet looks like uh, or sounds like. And you might have noticed, it might be something that might have happened to part of our group. Now, when you open Zoom or you open your calendar, Google Meet jumps up and says, do you want to meet? And if you don't understand, it seems like it's a part of Zoom. And so I had a couple of people yesterday that went into, they did touch the yes for Google Meets and it took oh, them to I a different meeting room. So uh, 
just be aware of that or if you're talking with other people that use virtual communications that if they ever see if they're expecting to go to a zoom meeting using zoom and when you open or start to try and go there if if meet you know want to meet or the word meet pops up or activate the meet uh microphone don't do that because it'll take you to a different meeting you have any comments or thoughts luke uh no i just maybe one little point uh we've had over 200 listens in the last three weeks wow. on the podcast so it's really been been blowing up so it's great that's, that's without any advertising oh someone asked what are those pod uh when you put it on anchor what are the different platforms it goes to different ones are um google podcasts spotify apple um there's there's a whole bunch actually but those are the big ones Mm-hmm. And I, iTunes, right? iTunes, yeah. Mm-hmm. FaceTime. FaceTime. Yeah, but I think that's more f- more phone sort of stuff, isn't it? FaceTime is just like a video conversation tool. Yeah, it's sort of like Skype. Okay. It's the uh, Apple version of Skype, right? Oh, okay. So you can now tell your friends that they can hear you on all the places that they listen to podcasts, and some people are familiar more familiar with you know, the name Spotify or iTunes, but could you tell a little bit about the PBA website? Uh, Yeah, we're just getting it together right now, but it's going to have basically every episode that we do. Um, We can attach some metadata to it. So maybe the conversations we talk about or uh, the participants, if they want to have their name included or um, any kind of stuff like that. Just another way to get get the word out on the podcast, poweredbyage.com. And any of you who would like to get more technically involved, <laughs> you can do uh, watch how people hashtag other things so we can look at hashtags we might want to use. If there's, if there's a limited amount of metadata that you can put into the platforms, the podcast platforms, but when you're sending, if you're making a, an entry on Facebook or LinkedIn, you can add hashtags. So you could have a hashtag like uh, senior environment issues or uh, other hashtags so that people will know when they go to that spot, they'll hear discussions around those things. So we'll learn more about hashtags, but that's just one of the ways that people uh, are able to search for and find that we have a podcast on something. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs> it was nice chatting with you all, and, and Charlotte, we will continue by email. Yeah, okay, thank, thank you, Ishmael. So, that was, uh, those were really uh, stimulating questions, so thank you for that. And are you still welcome? Absolutely. If if at any time you think of a of a potential um, project or initiative or event that could be co-organized between age friendly and UBC students, then I could I could get you in touch with my colleague who is responsible for um, for example for identifying volunteers. And we, and between you and I, we could also have a conversation potentially about um, a specific project that maybe some, some students who are part of a course or who are there on a volunteering capacity can support you. Um, but I think, yeah, in, in, in a, and resources available at the Center for Community Engaged Learning. And, and if there's an opportunity maybe for, for friendly age to see them, these programs or, or, or resources and we, we could have a conversation about that. Okay, say the name again, Center for... 
community engaged learning. That's where I work. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome, Charlotte. Bye, everyone. Bye, Esmeralda.